0: I don't want to be but regardless it's who I always am if you like my opening music there that is by the band Darker My Love the song called is called What's a Man's Paris and the bass playing on that song there is by today's guest Rob Barbado, who played not only with uh Darker, my love, but he's played with Cass McCombs, The Fall, and we'll we'll talk about uh, all of that. Marky e. Smith of The Fall, he's also a record producer and engineer. He's done The uh, Vivian Girls, just to name one. That is hovering at the top of my head. I, none, none, the others failed to come to me. But all that stuff will be in the show notes, so you can just look at the show notes and find links to Rob Barbado and All Things Wonderful. We also mention a man named Dan Aid throughout the episode. Uh, Dan is a dear old friend of mine, and they played together. Dan is also from the band The Broken West, which uh, my guest a few weeks ago, Ross Flournoy, was a part of. My shows, they intermingle. Everyone knows each other. It's like one big internet fucking podcast party. Am I right? (laughs) Anyway, uh, it is kind of crazy that they do... My guests intermingle and know each other or often suggest one another. Um, I don't usually do this at the top of of the show, but I do want to just say... Um, as a reminder to everybody, please rate and review the show. Subscribe if you like it. Uh, if you really like it, subscribe to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Conversations with dwyer. Uh, and you can go to the MattDwyer dot com for all those links to everything that is me and this show. Uh, I would just really appreciate it. I just would, um, you know, would really like to build my subscriptions and uh, Patreon. It would help me out. Greatly um, and speaking of which if you're a new listener and you're here because you like Dark My Love or Rob Barbado and his work with the many other bands and, and you're here for that, go back and peruse my uh, my library. I've interviewed tons and tons of musicians as well as artists and uh, a sort a, a sundry of uh, weirdos and activists and radicals so please check out my older episodes some of my past. Uh, guests include uh, John Lurie, who just sent me a beautiful print of one of his paintings. Uh, Ryan samball from one of my favorite bands, The Strange Boys, and also his music is all great. Uh, I've had Wayne Kramer from the MC5. Uh, uh, I, I I I've had uh, David Pajo from the from um, from Slint. My brain isn't working well. I'm doing. I'm again. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that I'm. I've prior episodes, I've recorded my intro from my bathroom, uh, which I'm doing now, which frankly, I'll tell you right now, my counter on my bathroom sink, embarrassing. But I'm in quarantine. I have a baby. I have a four year and a half year old daughter. I have a wife. I have two dogs. My life is fucking mayhem. <laughs> it is endless mayhem. And I won't lie to you. Maybe I had a wee bit of a margarita before I recorded this intro. Anyway, this is a great episode with Rob Barbado. He's a warm, charming, funny man, and incredibly talented. And this dude has played with everybody. Uh, and it was really great to talk to him. So please enjoy this episode. Here's
1: the thing. And this is the thing about, about Texas. And I've I love Texas. I've fallen in love with Texas. It's so beautiful. A lot of the people, people are actually really great, you know, even some of the more conservative people. They're the entire state or territory, you know, and as, as we're all like coming to uh, terms with these days that like the foundation of our nation is built upon a sort of substandard found, you know, uh, foundational structure or whatever. You know, so or like it's 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 being less hidden. The cracks are, are, are more apparent. But like the Texas, you know, when the, the people that moved to this state moved out here and it was sort of it was more of a, I guess, wild, the Wild West, you know. They felt that their fierce independence, you know, is what enabled them to, like, wrangle this land into, uh, <laughs> like, a habitable, you know, place. It was dangerous. It was wild, you know. And they, like—so, for generations, they've been sold this, like—and, and like, basically, like—and, and, you know, like, the whole, like, Juneteenth thing is, like, essentially, like, because— people didn't even like come out to Texas. Cause it was like, like, it was like, holy shit, that's so far away. And like, it's scary out there, you know, like, um, I think, uh, you know, it's been passed down from generation to generation. This like libertarian, like, give me like, this is my land, you know, like I earned this and you can't tell me what to do on it. You know, you can't come here and tell me what to do. So like, that's the mentality then there's also just like the sort of you know classic undereducated um you know
0: <laughs> can you well, talk with these people like can you have a de- uh, like a reasonable de-
1: Yeah, I'm un- I'm undercover now, man. I fucking, you know, like I bought a truck like recently. Like I'm I'm totally undercover. Dude. I'm I'm fishing all the time, you know? Which is crazy because like uh then like my social media uh like algorithm they're like confused on like where i lie on the political spectrum and i'm getting all of these like more right wing and i'm not like super active and like liking stuff or like you know like doing too much stuff i'm more of a lurker in in the social media realm but like um i get all these ads for like right wing podcasts and stuff like that because like i had been like looking at like Ford F one fifties and like searching for how to rig different, different fishing lures, you know? So they just like automatically assume I'm this thing, you know, when in reality, like I'm the husband of a, you know, social worker who graduated from UCLA, you know, and like, uh, uh, have been donating to the ACLU and NAACP on a monthly basis for like, since Trump was elected, you know? So
0: I feel like, <laughs> it's,
1: like I, I don't, you know, like the algorithm doesn't work, you know? Uh,
0: that's or interesting. Just yeah. Is it, is there something but you can talk to them?
1: You can talk to them, but you just talk to them about like fishing and, you know, like, and, uh, I'll, like, beautiful it is today. I don't know, you know? And then, like, like, if you get into more, and, like, my wife's, um, you know, family, uh, they they originate from the panhandle, like, kind of up near Amarillo, um, and they're more conservative. Like, not her immediate family, not her, like, mom and stuff, but, like, and not her grandmother, who's actually very liberal which is crazy and she's 94 um but like their extended family and like you know you get into some weird topics at the you know family reunion or like birthday party table you know and uh i you know my wife kind of takes it head on you know but um i don't know it's yeah I don't know, can you, can, people are so polarized these days, you know, and, like, it's so tribal, like, can you convince someone, you know?
0: Yeah, I don't know, it's been, I don't come across it a lot, but then we just, like, some mom of uh, a kid my daughter plays with, not right now, because of the disease, but she was like, you know, it's the usual uh, white Christian talking about how they're oppressed, I'm like, Really? No no it's, no it's like I just it kills me that white Christians think what,
1: that they think they're oppressed
0: yeah, that they're oppressed, that they can't worship, that they've been told they can't sing in church oh because, yeah, yeah. it's like you're not oppressed, man like it's not yeah. you're not even close to it and like that's what's crazy
1: about that is that's like more a conversation about faith versus structural you know like uh r- religion, you know, and it's like you can practice your faith anywhere. You know,
0: Jesus you, said when three know. or more gathered in his name, so what are you bitching about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. Is it's there... uh, you know. And you're like a Boston guy originally. Are you from Boston proper? Yeah. Well,
1: I grew up on the eastern and sea- Seaboard, so like I was born um in Connecticut near Hartford, Connecticut, uh in this, this town called Simsbury. And I lived there until I was about eight. And then we moved to just outside Richmond, Virginia for like my middle school years. Um, And then we moved back, we moved to Massachusetts um, for like, and then I was there for high school and college. But my dad is from uh, Hyde Park, which is like, you know, just uh, south of Dorchester. So it's like still in the city limits. It's still like Boston city limits, but I grew up in the... Safe suburbs of of uh, Massachusetts. You know,
0: I, I was was the music scene when you were. Or were you into music and playing back then, or did, is that like something that came? Yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah.
1: Like when. So when I, um, when I started getting into music, I mean, I suppose I, I started getting into music when I lived in in Richmond, and kind of <laughs> grunge broke, and you know, like I learned how to play guitar and stuff and then all throughout you know like when i moved to massachusetts i was in like 7th 8th grade and like i think 8th grade i like formed a band uh with a bunch of guys in town and like we were like a college rock band we you know like we kind of sounded like kind of r e m or like buffalo tom you know it was like alternative rock but you know very much like in that kind of more earlier stage. And, and, you know, one of the, what's crazy is, and and along the way, it's been, you know, like interesting to see all the people I've played with, like how they've ended up like, you know, becoming musicians and, and being professional musicians and making really great art. Like the keyboardist in this, that band was this guy, um, Jamie Fenley. And, um, he put out this great like multimedia record, um, on paradise of bachelors last year, um, called bellowing sun and his, his project's called mind over mirrors. But you know, it's like, he, you know, and he's actually, he, he had been in Chicago for like the last, I think five years. He just moved to Maine, but that's like where he made the record and he made it with, um, uh, what's his butt? <laughs> um, it's a thrill jockey, uh, tortoise, uh, John McIntyre. Ah. Um, so we made it with him. Yeah. He like recorded all of it. And then I think John mixed it, but, um, so, uh, yeah. And then from there I got into, I, I, I started acting up. I was a bit of a class clown in the public school and, uh, my parents, uh, kind of pulled the plug on that. And I got sent to an all boys Catholic school to reform. But there's where I met sort of, um, a group of, uh, Like kind of Hardcore Punk Ska Dudes And Ska was very popular At this point In the 90s um,
0: <laughs> is, and you, is that you Qualifying that? Or <laughs> no
1: I mean it's still great Ska is still okay. great I, I will back Ska Because well, in know. back
0: In that There was I like Ska as well But there was also some Pretty bad shit
1: No oh, there's also. bad Ska There's bad <laughs> Scott, But there's really good Ska too You know And like uh, I think uh, and that's with all music it's just kind of where your taste radar is but you know like we were in Massachusetts and the Boston's were very popular and that was like a easy entree into that world and then we kind of got more into the kind of New York Moonska like Slacker Slackers and stuff like that and so yeah I formed I was in this band with these guys Um, and they all went on to do like really amazing stuff. And when I, I mean, as my taste, you know, uh, changed, I also being in New England started to get kind of into the jam world and like the Grateful Dead and fish and stuff like that. So I kind of moved out of that ska realm and, um, yeah, I don't know, but like the guy who replaced me on guitar ended up. Joining like the Dropkick Murphys for like their classic period, which I suppose is the, you know, the song that's in The Departed. I, I'm guessing that's the Dropkick's classic period. <laughs> 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 not, not, not. You know, no, hey man, is it what? When even... I hear that first riff, I get excited too. So. <laughs> yeah, for, for baseball and football and, and all sports. There, you know, it's a jock jam now. So that's yeah, cool.
0: I always wonder how bands feel like that because it's like the violent femmes surely did not intend to be a frat boy theme music. And it's, no. like, and it's like, does that hurt them? Or do they just like, well, fuck it. We make so much money from this. Like, I, I don't know. I,
1: uh, I mean, I think that's the thing with all sort of art or music is like you make it for like, there's a reason you're making it. You know, it's usually cause you like hate yourself and, <laughs> and, and, and slash think you're the best, but you know, like, um, but then you like put it out there and it takes on a life of its own and people like decide what it is. And like you have no control over that, you know? So all you can really do is put it out there. But like I would be so down to have a jock jam. I wish, (laughs) I wish I had a jock jam. Like imagine that's like the, the biggest compliment to, to your like hook writing skills. Cause like, you've essentially distilled um, like this melodic line that a crowd can like holler, you know, like oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like that's that is huge. That's like you know, like you're up there with you're up there with Mozart at that point, you know. Uh, it's I... it's unbelievable. What so yeah, and then and then from there, like I, I went through my jam band phase and got to jazz, and I considered all music, um, sort of. Oh, a bird just flew into my window. Considered all music just sort of below jazz for a while. I went to Berkeley College of Music, where I got there and realized that though I like jazz, I'm really just into classic rock, and um, you know, kind of just. Got back into classic and indie rock and stuff like that, and I still love jazz. But you didn't go. I'm to, not going to be a professional jazz musician. You I'm, didn't meet
0: uh, Dan Aid at Berkeley, did you?
1: That is that is where I met him, and I met so many amazing people there. You know,
0: Ied I didn't finish either. Which I, I I I actually know a number of people who went to Berkeley and didn't finish, and I don't know is that is there a reason to that? <laughs> like, do people just be like, "Fuck this, I don't need this," or it's? I mean,
1: I think you know, you know, it's for a lot of different reasons. Some people it's expensive. Some people are like, um, I've kind of gotten what I need out of being here. Um, you, it it kind of, at times, and like, I can't speak for how it is today, but like at times it, it feels, um, it felt pointless and maybe a little bit out of touch in some ways, but like, you know, Dan um, was in the same dorm as as me, and, like in our freshman year, and we like met freshman year. And like, he's like one of the best players like I had ever met, you know. And at the same time, we also met, you know, Emmett Kelly at that time, and Will Kansaneri, and Craig Hendricks, and um, you know, all these like people who have, have gone on to, like, really make a like a huge impact and play on a lot of great records, tour with a lot of great people. And, you know, I think peop- we were just, you know, I don't know, kids. And Dan was, like, kind of the, the uh, you know, the sort of trendsetter in moving out west. And he was the first one to to get out there and like, you know, I was in a band while I was at Berkeley with, uh, Jack Adams, who he goes under the name, Jack name and has a record coming out on Mexican summer. Uh, I think in October, but, um, him and the, this guy were McCord who I played with in the fall and was also in Edward Sharp and the magnetic zeros. But, um, we had this band and they were, they grew up in California. So it was kind of this thing is like, Dan moved to California. These guys were like, let's move to California. And that's how I like, didn't end up in Chicago, New York or Nashville, you know, but like, um, yeah. I mean, I think people finishing school at Berkeley, it doesn't really matter as long as you meet sort of the right people that, that like, You can play with that can kind of introduce you because so much of this stuff, much like the comedy world is like about sort of your relationships and like bouncing ideas off of other people and having that like feedback. So, you know, yeah.
0: I've always thought it as like as a musician to move to a city. I mean, you knew some people, but it's like comedy. It's like you could kind of work your way into. I think it's just like, but me, like as a soul, like a a guy who's looking for a band. It just seems like, or who wants to start a band. It seems almost impossible because you have to meet a number of the right-minded people. Totally, and, and there's a bunch of fucking clowns in L.A. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> totally,
1: totally, and I think it's even harder today than it was in the early 2000s to, like, form a band, you know. I'm also, I also just turned 40, so maybe people aren't really looking for a 40-year-old guy, but, you know, that's, like, I don't fit into the demographic on the Craigslist post, but (laughs) um, I've I've aged out. Um, The uh, But, like, so, yeah, like, I originally had moved to L.A. to, like, start to not... We weren't continuing our band from Berkeley, but Orfeo and Jack also moved out and we were kinda gonna like start a new thing. And then and Jared Everett also moved out with us at the same time too. And he was like he was in Boston. He was playing in this band, The Liars with a Y. that they're like kind of like a garage rock band. They were on like this the nuggets. Oh yeah, they're awesome. Jeff Mono Man, Jeff Connolly. Um and like uh so he was kind of going to be in the group too. And, and, you know, and like while we were in school, like Jared was like, he was like, Oh, I got this show in New York. Like he was, he was always like going and playing shows in New York and like going, you know, like going out West to play shows, like flying on the weekends to go do these kind of weekend runs. And we were kind of in awe of that. Like, and we would go like see the liar shows cause they were just so sick. Um, but, um, you know, uh, we moved out there with the idea of starting this band and then Jared met, um, Tim Presley at CM- at the CMJ conference. Cause they had mutual friends from this Boston band, uh, the explosion, which were like a punk band from Boston. They were kind of Jade tree, um, kind of more towards that street punk type thing. But like, um, so then we met Tim and then Tim was just like, Hey, would you be interested in playing in a band? I was like, yeah, sure. And like to play bass. And I had never played bass in a band at that point, but I just figured like, might as well just say yes to every, everything, you know, and just like try stuff out. So then that, that's kind of how Darker My Love happened or how I ended up in Darker My Love. Cause Tim had kind of started that, a little bit before he moved from San Francisco to LA. So, um, but it was like with his brother and Andy, who at the time was in the distillers and, um, Tony, who was also in the distillers at the time. So like, it wasn't like a really full project. And then we just kind of started doing that, you know, and, um, had, had those like rock and roll dreams, you know, and like, (laughs) And, like, it was, like, right at the the sort of tail end of the old music industry. Like, I, I don't think necessarily, um, you know, uh, the Internet wasn't – everybody didn't have BSL at that point, you know, and, like, the Internet was – streaming and stuff was still – and downloading was, like, wild and, and not really – you know figured out and the labels thought and the labels still had money you know and like we're still pushing the sort of like push it on radio and you know and then we'll sell records you know like that sort of format of the record industry and there was a great radio station in los angeles at the time with Indie 103 so like we got a lot of like radio play through that so that was like like a great thing so
0: were you guys on danger Bird?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were on Dangerbird, and, you know, like that, you know, that was like really, um, really cool and like kind of like, uh, grad school for how all of this stuff works. Like I learned so much, um, about producing records, about, uh, licensing music to media and, you know, and about, what to do and what not to do with sort of your career <laughs> and, 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 you know, and like, um, how, like, you know, like, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I was even thinking about this the other day, you know, the label bought us like gear, you know, like, uh, they bought us like amps and, and, and stuff like that. Like right when we signed with them, you know, and like, And we were all like, yeah, hell yeah, this is awesome. But in reality, if they had just given us the money to buy the gear, we then could have deducted that as a loss against our, you know, earnings, but they paid for it and then get to recoup that money and deduct it as a loss. So that's just stuff, not that they, it was like shady or anything, just like just learning stuff like that. Like, you you know, business stuff, you don't even know about when you're 20 something, you just want to go, slam a PBR and, you know, <laughs> melt, melt some faces, you know? So it's like... Um,
0: did you produce with uh, Darker My Love, or is that just do you kind of... No, we had, well, uh, the
1: last, the first, well, I mean, it's kind of funny. The first record we did with uh, Manny Nieto and um, and Drew Fisher. So Manny had a studio in Eagle Rock uh, that's over by King Size. Rob Schnapp is now uh, in that studio. And Rob did, like, he's done huge records, and probably his biggest claim to fame for most people is uh, he did Loser, and they released it on on Bong Load, you know, uh, Beck Loser. But um, so... Uh, we did it in there and then we went up to San Francisco to Hyde Street um, with Drew Fisher, recorded a few more tracks and mixed it up there. And, um, but we, could, I mean, that was kind of self produced by us in a lot of ways. There was, you know, like Manny's a great engineer and he had a lot of great production ideas, but there was also like logistics and kind of, you know, our, our creative ideas and stuff like that. The second record we did with Dave Cooley. And he was very much the producer of it, and uh, and then Tony Hoffer mixed that, um, and he was like kind of in control of that. And like we recorded in literally every studio in L.A., um, and it took like a really long time to do. And and that's probably why it sounds like the most polished and the most like radio friendly. And like that was definitely what the label wanted. And you know maybe in the end not necessarily what we should have done as a group, but you know, it was cool too, you know, but I don't know. It's like you, you learn as you're doing it. And, um, the, the last record alive as you are, which is like kind of our country record. We, uh, that was sort of a reaction to the record before. And we went up to San Francisco. Um, our friend, Nick Huntington produced it, um, as well. And Drew Fisher engineered it. Um, but we kind of, we kind of like blew all the money on like a, and a, like a house to live there. And, And then like, you know, like we kind of like took the money and like rented this house with like a hot tub. It was like, it was like, the it was like the real world or, you know, it was like, I mean, it was wild. It was, it was like, uh, There were some debaucherous moments. Um, (laughs) It was crazy. Yeah. I was like online gambling at the time. Um, You know, like, so, you know, we made that record and we like switched studios in the middle of it. We were at Hyde, Hyde Street and then we like moved up to Cotati to Prairie Sun, which is a really cool studio up there to like kind of finish it off and mix it. And then the label kind of rejected the mixes and um, we remixed part of it with this guy, Jason later at Rick Rubin's house, um, his house over by the Chateau Marmont um, in L.A. Wow, that's so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was really cool going there, but, and we didn't really like those mixes either, but uh, whatever, you know, it came out and it's cool. Uh, hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty, You know Yeah uh, Maybe I shouldn't have Been slamming 12 Budweiser's A day <laughs> You know like, And That's rock and roll right Yeah exactly And And betting on Full tilt poker In between takes But you know like Um So like all Yeah and then all like During that time Like I had struck up A relationship with Uh Well I guess we should Do you want to should I keep talking about Dark of My Love" or uh, I'm we, just, uh, were you
0: going to say uh, uh, Marky Smith, or were you going?
1: I was going to talk about Cass
0: McCombs, but oh then, yeah, no, Cass was great.
1: But I should probably talk about how Tim and I ended up in the fall, which um, was cool. So like, right after um, our first record came out on Dangerbird. Um, I had played this show with Emmett Kelly from uh Berkeley, uh, who he's gone on to do awesome stuff. He has a group called Cairo Gang and has played with Will Oldham and uh is in uh, plays with Ty Stigal a lot. Um <laughs> but uh I played drums for him opening up for Daniel Johnson at Spaceland and just like randomly, you know. And Two weeks later, I was at my job uh, at this recording studio in Century City where I know being like, oh, I worked at a recording studio. It sounds cool. I like literally answered the phones and did like accounts receivable and, (laughs) and, and was like and like made, you know, like made coffee and shit and like greeted people who came in. It was not I was not like engineering stuff. I didn't really get access to the studio. It was a cool old studio, though. Glenn Frey made uh, the album All Nighter there, which, uh, if you ever look at at the cover art for that, it's pretty cool. It's uh, it's just the All Nighter written out in cocaine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> of course, of course, it's a Glenn Frey cover.
1: Exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm there, and then Emmett called me and was like, "Hey man, I have uh, a amazing opportunity for you." Um. the the fall band just quit uh, in Arizona and Marky Smith's looking to put together a band. Can you do that? And I was like, yeah. So I called him. I was like, Tim, Hey, um, do you want to be in the, you want to be in the fall? (laughs) And and like, and, and he was like, yes, let's do this. Andy, or the drummer for dark, my love had just broken both his wrists in a bike accident in San Francisco. So like dark my love wasn't even like, we were like kind of on pause and we were like waiting for our first record to come out. So I called Orfeo who, um, he was just in LA and I just like, he's like a great drummer, you know, and like, uh, and like a, a chill dude. So he, he's actually not like, like, he, I don't know if he had ever even maybe listened to the fall at that point. Um, and we got together and we learned the, like a bunch of songs off their latest two records off, off, uh, the real new fall LP and fall heads roll. So we got together, we learned those in like one night, two nights. And then we drove to San Diego and met Mark and his wife, Elena, um, and played, uh, the show and i later
0: wait you played a show with not, not rehearsing with him you just got together and no did... no we just
1: showed up and played the show that's <laughs> fucking crazy and, yeah he like stood he like we started we sound checked and he kind of stood there and listened to us and was like okay cool you know and then like we played the show and there were some like big mistakes in that show like there was a miscommunication about like what the song was in the set list. And like, we were playing two different songs at once. And like later, like a few years later, I was like, um, somehow hanging out with David Yao. And he said, that was the worst show I've ever seen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. David, I could see David. He doesn't hold punches. No,
1: but what's funny is that he's had some pretty bad shows himself, you know, and like, you know, but you know, like that's the fall also. It's like, it's, you never know what you're going to get. But as the like weeks went on or like the days went on, we just kept getting better and better and it started clicking more and more. And, you know, Mark was, um, really like kind and loving and we developed an amazing relationship with him and Elena too. And, you know, we thought we were just going to do the U S tour and just like get them through this, like sort of, um, financial, you know, like, sort. you know, it's like they have these dates booked. And if they canceled, it would have been like brutal, but we started picking up steam and we were like, good, you know? And it was like, it was like really good. And then, like, we're in New York, and Mark's like, I want you guys to come over to Manchester to play the Falls um, 30th anniversary show. So then we, like, flew over and played that, and that was, like, my first time going to the U.K., you know? And so then we did that, and then he's like, Hey, we have the – we have this – we have the – festivals and these tour dates booked in between these festivals come play that and so we did that and then we were like kind of like living in manchester for like months at a time you know and uh making a record with him and i don't know he was just he was an amazing man and i loved him dearly he was complex you know
0: yeah, I, I don't know much about him I heard mixed things Like I heard he cancel. I don't know if any of this is true But I heard he would cancel shows a lot Or just quit music and then come back
1: Yeah I mean he was a I, He was like A uh, uh, hard living You know uh, Contrarian You know and He would fire bands and You know he, At times You would think Things he was doing was like self sabotage, but then you would see like the results were actually more in line with um, his creative vision, you know. So it's like he was, he was, he was a really great guy and he was so funny. He was so funny. He was one of the funniest people I've ever met, you know.
0: Is, is there anything you could put your finger on that you'd learned from him? like some specific things that you carry with you i
1: mean his just like his his like dedication to like what he does and like perseverance and and really self-reliance and not necessarily relying on the like industry game that you like have to play. It's like you can make great art, you know, and not have to sort of play the, the game to, um, you know, I think financial fame and fortune, you know, or, you know, like I, I think a lot of, I don't know. It's like, it's funny because I think people play music and do art for a lot of reasons. But I think in with, especially within the last like 30 years or so, there's been a real, um, you know, push towards people wanting to like have that fame and notoriety and, um, and financial success from their art, you know? And, in a lot of ways to do that, you need to conform or play sort of, uh, political kind of games to like make that stuff happen. And and he never did that, you know? And, uh, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think like he really was just a lifer and did it because, you know, he was like a, he was like a shark, you know, like he just had to keep swimming, you know, and keep moving. But, um. just, and like, yeah, learn that the, the thing that, um, the thing that, uh, that you should have most of the time on while you're like, it's a job that, you know, when you're out there on the road playing shows, it's not, it's not vacation. It's not, it's not tourism, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, cause like, I think you can get confused you know and like but you're there to put on a show and like you're there to take it seriously so but yeah, he was a great great human being and I miss him dearly and you know we we continued to um, you know like I play with him I, I went back and played with them in 2013 for a few shows in Ireland. Uh, while Dave, the current bass player, uh, was on his honeymoon, I think. Um, and you know, we produced, Tim and I wrote and produced a song on the second to last LP, which came out in like 2015, maybe I 2016. I can't remember, but, um, and we were, you know, in, in contact and, and, always in in good standings with Mark. And whenever we would come by with Darker My Love, Darker My Love opened for the fall at the Cocoa in London. And, you know, he would come out and see, they would come out and see us. And he would send birthday cards and Easter cards. And he was just, him and Eleanor were, you know, the best. And Eleanor's doing good. She's making new music now. She lives in Berlin again. And, yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, it was it was it was the one of the greatest experiences of my life you know
0: you you've like i i had i knew that you worked with an extensive amount of people before we talked but i was like, yeah. looked it up and it's it's fucking crazy who you've played with <laughs> or who you've produced i mean it's like yeah uh
1: yeah i mean it's like i guess if you just kind of keep doing stuff and that's kind of like goes on with like what mark says is like you just keep working just always working Always making something Like Yeah you can You can uh, Have some winners And Have some losers <laughs> You know like it, some Some things hit the mark Some things don't But I, you know When oh. you have a ton of them It's hard to tell You know Yeah <laughs> It just looks cool
0: Did you work Cause I don't know If this is my memory Fucking me But I've I feel like I remember Being at uh, Dan IE's house once And you talking about You were working on Some hip hop albums Is that wrong <laughs>
1: I mean, I've I have worked on some hip hop stuff. I'm trying to think of like what that would be. I can't. I just remember what year
0: it was. Some story of somebody, a famous rapper, and it was just the weed that they had was just like mind, like.
1: Oh, that might have been Anthony Caruso who was working with uh, uh, Walk Walk of. Or maybe that was Drew. No, it's Anthony Caruso. He was working with uh, Nelly. All right. I remember that story. The, yeah.
0: The times at uh, Dan I houses house is uh, is a blurry era for yeah.
1: <laughs> But yeah, like I, I have worked with some hip hop artists. There's actually, so, uh, and there's a 7 inch coming out like later this year in August uh, of a track that I worked on and, and produced with a couple other guys um, that has Fat Lip from the far side, um, this rapper, Blue. And then the lead singer from Future Islands. You, you know, you're familiar yeah. with that band? Yeah. He's also an amazing rapper. Really? who goes under the name Hemlock Ernst. Yeah. He's like an unbelievable rapper. Wow. Um, and so that's coming out like later. Yeah, like in August or something. So, yeah, I, I do work on hip-hop here and there, but I wouldn't say that I'm like... Well, in that scene or anything, it's it's more of a uh, peripheral, fun uh, type of. But
0: it was. Uh, I've heard Cass is pretty intense to tour with. Just on a like, you kind of never know what's gonna ha- happen. Is that? Yeah. Like yeah, I mean, he's I like mean, pretty spontaneous on stage. Not like he's like out of his mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The the
1: music is is definitely more like imp- improvised and like, cause he comes also from kind of, he comes from the Bay area and has a bit of that, like Dead grateful dead roots in his music where like, you know, you just kind of have to follow him. But yeah. So yeah, I met Cass, uh, like around, um, he had just moved from Chicago to Pasadena, um, and he was about to start making, um, what's the name of that album? Uh, Dropping the Rift. Um, and Luke Top uh, introduced me to him, and we, we kind of hit it off, and I really like Cass, and uh, played a little bit on that. And then uh, he went to do, like, you know, I was, it was more just like, we were like kind of friends and I, I would like come by, hang by the studio and like maybe do something here or there, but like, wasn't really playing with him. And then he was doing Morning Becomes Eclectic for that album and w- had been touring, opening up for Jose Gonzalez. And he, But it was just him and Walker Terrett, like a duo doing it. And he, for Morning Becomes Eclectic, he wanted to put, like do a whole band thing. So myself, Orfeo and Matt Populu, um, Walker and Cass did the show. And like, we did like one rehearsal before it. And it was like, we did the, the morning becomes eclectic. And it was like, great. You know, it was like just one of those things where you knew the songs just enough to like, or knew the material just enough that like, while it was happening, um, you know, it turned into this like really amazing thing because, you weren't over sure of it. You hadn't played it a million times, but you knew it enough to like just play enough. I don't know. It was like, I I find that that's when some of the best musical moments happen when you're not like so familiar with the material that it's like, feels kind of like, uh, running, running through the motions or whatever.
0: Right.
1: So we did that. And then I think he got like, you know, like a day later, got a tour with band of horses. um, and so was like hey let's put let's bring this band on tour and Domino his label really loved the performance on the radio show. so they gave him some tour support to do that so then i toured with him on that and that was like that was like in the maybe like 2007 2008 or something like that i, I don't know I can't, I can't even remember anymore and then so then yeah and then we made catacombs up in this house in, um, Glassell Park. He rented this sick house and, um, just went by there every day kind of, and like to see what was popping. And I was like, Orfeo Walker, um, Cass, Ariel, Rickstrad, like, uh, produced that, but that was like super cool, super fun. Um, and like, I think Luke top, you know, a bunch of people would kind of come by, hang out and play stuff. We did that all in a room without headphones, like Buddy Holly style. So I don't know. It was, that was really fun. And then kind of got, you know, went back into Darker My Love world for a while. Did a lot of touring with, with, you know, our group. And then as stuff was winding down with Darker My Love, I kind of like started, because I didn't tour the Catacombs records, uh, but then started, you know, Cass was like, hey, can you... Can you like, can we put a band together, you know? And so it was, it started off. It was me, Will Pianzeneri, who was also in Dark Mellow and is now in Vampire Weekend. Um, Chris Cohen, uh, Dan Alaire, who had been playing in Dark Mellow and Cass. And then, um, and we made, during that time, we made... Uh, Humor Risk and Wits End and that had like Cass always has just like a bunch of different people on his records it's never like sort of one set group you know it's kind of and he's always recording where he's living you know and he had like moved back to Chicago at at one point too but um, that and then you know there was a point where I was like hey you know can we get Dan in the the band we should really get Dan IE in the band and um because dan had done a tour with dark my love because jared at that point um had had gotten a really good job with levi's and couldn't really do the tour dates and we had a bunch of pedal steel on our last record so i was like oh we'll just get dan and he can play guitar and pedal steel and he had done a tour with dark my love and then it kind of like everyone knew dark my love was kind of just like had run its course you know and we kind of just shifted into playing with Cass, did a bunch of touring with him. Yeah. And that was you, all great, and I love him. He's one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and just songwriters in general. I love him as a person, too, you
0: know? That's interesting. I mean, that Darker My Love ran its course, and a lot of, I don't know, from what I've seen, a lot of bands, once they run their course, it's just like everybody just sort of dissipates, and <laughs> some people don't, you know, they don't end up doing anything again. It's, and of course you seem to have uh, kept going, which is pretty incredible. But also, like how did you get into switch to engineering? Cause that, uh, I, cause that yeah, to... I mean, I guess like,
1: and like during all that time, well, I went to school for music synthesis, which was kind of like somewhere in between recording and like programming. But, um, and I'd always been, kind of um, recording bands here and there in the background, seven inches. Like I recorded the the sock pack and recorded nods and, you know, um, I don't know. I just like had been doing, you know, and then I, I recorded like some bleached first uh, seven inches and those were kind of popular and they got like a, you know, best new music on, pitchfork and stuff like that and um her best new track or whatever and uh so it was like kind of and ended up doing met katie goodman through my friend uh john uh whale who matzah everybody knows him as Matza, but um he uh he kind of really like pushed me or pushed people towards me in a lot of ways. You know, he was like, Oh, you should work with this dude. So he was like my unofficial like sales rep manager. And he wasn't even my manager or anything. He was just like my friend who just like was always telling people that, you know, who you should record with is this dude, you know, which is like kind of what you need in that. So like I got enough sort of, um, semi-successful like, releases under my belt where um, then I'd say kind of the turning moment where I kind of started focusing on it a little more was around the winter of 2011, 2012, around then somewhere, I had made... I had made two records that summer, but I had been like touring with Cass still. And then Cass was going to do an Australian tour and a winter tour. And I was kind of like, I can't do them. I've been asked to produce these two records. And one of them was uh, the Babies records, which was uh, Kevin Morby and uh, Cassie from the Vivian Girls band. And,
0: um, oh, and I Justin. Did. I didn't know that. I mean I know yeah. that Both of those bands I had no idea There was a connection Between the ba- babies And I, I Cause I'm done. Yeah
1: No that's that, That's cool Yeah so like I made that record And that sort of You know from there And that was like A good experience And people really liked that stuff You know And like it got Pretty decent reviews And the babies Had some You know I mean they were always People love that group You know But like um, So like you know, that's how kind of like I got hooked up with Kevin and, and then Kevin moved to LA and he's like, Hey, I want to make a record. So like essentially his, his first record, like I, I pretty much like funded as we were doing it. Um, and that was one, one of the best recording experiences. And I kind of took a lot of stuff I learned from, like cats on that on his sessions where like you just have like a bunch of different people like always kind of coming in and playing on it. And like like Tim Presley plays bass on some stuff. Uh, like Dan Aid comes in and plays guitar and Steel on some stuff. Uh Angel Derridorian from who is in Dirty Projectors and has her own solo career now. Um her and her sister like sang a bunch on it they're uncredited but um and uh yeah Justin Sullivan and Will Cansanary played like a ton on that record he played bass and organ and stuff but like everyone kind of like switching instruments and like having a really sort of just like sessions where people didn't know the material fully and we're just kind of learning it as you're playing it and then we're what you the take you hear on the record is where it like clicks and everyone like gets it all at once and like um and that's what kind of puts some of that excitement in it so yeah and so then made kevin's first two records and you know at that point uh, you know i kind of uh as kevin's second record came out then um was right around the time that we had googie our son so then you know i've been less pushing on making records as much you know like i probably would say i do about if you if you like kind of like one a year now and and not not sort of driving it to be like my source of income you know and it's more as like a creative outlet and like a chance to be in the room with the band and choking around and, and, and that kind of thing and less of like, it's my career pursuit. It's, it's, it's a really hard, um, it's compet it's, it's just super competitive, you know? And like the, the less and less money there is for music, the more people are recording themselves or the more you're having to sort of on projects with you know people of the that have like much bigger successful credits under their name and have you know access to different stuff so yeah i mean I, i you know it's like i just feel lucky to have met like a lot of really great musicians and like you know having like people like dan and will and um you know uh, you know their sort of network of people and like bringing those folks in like that's how you can kind of make make records amazing you know and, and just like it's more about like the, almost the people you know than your own talents so You're right i don't know
0: there's a something i've always been curious about with like engineering and producing because there's certain uh, I, I don't uh, i'm wondering what the dynamic is because there's certain dudes like you hear a record, you're like, "Oh, that's Steve Albini." Yeah, you, you can definitely tell there's like a stamp, but which is weird because Albini always claims he's like lays back and let and which I believe he lets the artists yeah. do what they want, but he definitely <laughs> mixes it his sort of his way. And I'm, I'm just curious of like how that works when you're recording. Like I'm sure there's times when you want to. Make suggestions Or maybe Like how do you Gauge
1: I mean I'm sure There is stuff That I do That Like Are like tricks That I do That like People are like Oh that's That makes it sound Like you know This thing But you know like I'm I'm trying to be As transparent as possible And like Help just facilitate The The vision Of You know The artist or band as much as possible and like and in whatever capacity they need me like it's like do you need help with your arrangements do you need help uh with uh you know logistics and just like sort of organizing stuff and keeping it moving and kind of being that person who's pushing it forwards do you need a therapist in the in the room that's going to like be able to navigate sort of a tricky dynamic within the group, you know, and like act as sort of the a mediator, you know? Or do you need someone, you know, like I am not I would never say that I'm the strongest like engineer, but like I can engineer. But if the budget, you know, if you have the budget, I'm gonna like get Drew Fisher, like Who's essentially like my partner to like engineer the tracking? For the most part, he mixes stuff because, like, I don't necessarily want to be mixing it because I need another set of years to like clean up kind of what I'm doing. And we've developed just such a shorthand over the years that like he kind of knows what we're going for. And that way it doesn't become this thing that's like, you know, all about me or like my sort of aesthetics, you know, and my, what I would do, what I, you know, like some people like their vocal double-tracked, some people like it single-tracked, you know, and like, you know, I prefer double-tracked vocals. So it's like you, you have to like take yourself out of some of that stuff and like make sure that you're doing the right thing and like always supporting the the record and the recording and, and not, and trying to take your own sort of ego out of it because it's really easy to, to like want to take credit for stuff when really it's these, these people wrote the songs, you know, and, um, I'm just helping them like sort of paint the picture of it that, you know, then they can give to their business people to, Package it, bag it, tag it, sell it to the masses, you know? So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I enjoy doing it. It's hard work and you probably don't get paid enough for the amount of effort you put into it. But um, at the same time, um, it's super fulfilling and enjoyable. But I wouldn't want it to be my primary job, you know? It's like, it's, it's such a like, It's a hard, it's a hard job to have in industry and you got to always be selling yourself. It's similar to, you know, it's similar to being a, a, uh, you know, an artist or like a, you know, comedian or something like that. You have to like be out there networking and like getting people inter- wanting to work with you and you know I don't, I don't know it seems so
0: yeah I've never been good at that I'm like I, I was never able to be like push myself and that might go to and I, I wanted to end or er, end sort of on this because you brought this up at the beginning that musicians have to think that they hate themselves but while well, also thinking they're the best which is a yeah. <laughs> and you've worked with everybody so you clearly have a uh, a well of knowledge to draw from with that statement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just curious to like exactly what that means. And is that like, if you can elaborate on that and is, is cause I feel like that is with any creative person, you kind of have this self-loathing, but also this massive <laughs> ego at the same time. And is, is that needed? Like, does is that mix compel people to keep moving forward?
1: Or yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and like, I, like I don't want to take credit for that. Like, I feel like my friend Trevor, saw it on some podcast and like posted it and like, and, and, and like nailed, it just nails it so hard. But, you know, I think for creatives, there's this, there's something inside that is driving you to kind of like fill a void with your art, you know, and it's either a pain or, you know, some sort of experience it, it, you're trying to make sense of, of, you know, what it is, at least good, good art or good music, you know, like, you know, you're trying to make sense of of what, what can make you whole. And so like, you know, that you're flawed, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but at the same time, you feel that your flaw is so important that people need to hear about it. And people need, and that you need to be like up on the stage, and like uh, confident enough to be like listen to listen to this, you know, because what I understand about my flaw is is you know fundamentally what you people are also looking for about yourself, <laughs> you know, to like, and, and you, maybe you, you can't fill it by like making music, like, but I can, and I'm going to give it to you, you know? So it's like, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it is such a, and, and when I say that about, about people, I, I feel like people who are, are very successful and talented. And, and, and when I mean successful, I don't necessarily mean, just financially successful, I mean, like, successful at writing a a song, painting a picture, uh, you know, acting, you know, any any of this stuff, like, they're able to uh, touch upon these sort of universal truths that we're all kind of going through in a very um, palatable way that people can understand and relate to. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I hope to someday be able to do it. And I think that most people are always trying to, you know, most artists are always trying to do that. And, uh, and you get some winners, you get some losers, you get hits and misses and, and you never know, you got to just keep doing it. Cause you never know when you're going to sort of get to that, you know, uh, Dylan-esque level <laughs> you know, it's like,
0: I just watched uh, The documentary about him and I was like I wish I had a fucking quarter Of the confidence he had as a young man Totally It's crazy total. Yeah um, all right, Rob. He doesn't give a fuck yeah. He, yeah, Matt, Thank you so much man this was great Dude it's, I can't wait Till uh, we live in a better
1: Tomorrow and uh, I can see you and You know, we'll get to see uh, uh, Cubs, Red Sox, World
0: Series. (laughs) Yeah, I would love. uh, Hopefully, we have the money where we can go back and forth. Go
1: sit in the stands. (laughs) Exactly. All
0: right. Thanks, man. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Remember to rate and review it. And if you like, become a Patreon supporter at or conversations with Dwyer. Also, listen to my friend's podcast, Hunk by Mike Bridenstine and Kilgallen's Pub with Joe Kilgallen. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you again.